let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. And this morning, just as we, you know, our whole morning has been about Jesus, um, which it should be, right? We should always be just looking at Jesus, looking to Jesus. And what marks us out as believers, what makes you and I Christians, is not that we just believe a set of principles or that we follow a way of life. There are those things, but at the center of it all is that we follow Jesus Christ. Um, and that's what the word Christian means. It means lit- so, literally someone that follows Jesus Christ. It's someone who's a follower of Christ, who, who is those Jesus people. That's what it means. And we are those Jesus people, right? Um, that's what we are. We, we are Jesus people. We are people that, are, that find our identity and we find our worth and we find our value in, in Jesus, in what he has done and, and who he is and on, on, on our behalf. And um, this morning, just in, in praying for what we should do today, I really felt I wanted to look at a portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 1, and I want us to look at an aspect of, of who Jesus is, and I want to bring out three things this morning from Revelation 1 of looking at, at who Jesus is. And you know, and often when we read the book of Revelation, we can read the book of Revelation uh, always to like look at the end time stuff and to look at, um, you know, what is it going to show about the end times and this aspect and that aspect. But we forget that the book of Revelation wasn't written for, for that reason. It was written to believers like you and I, ordinary people that needed to see a vision of God. And they needed to see a vision of how great God uh, was, and that in the middle of their own storm, in the middle of their own troubles, in the middle of a world around them that was shaking, in many ways it was shaking, they needed a vision of Jesus. That's what they needed. And that's why the book of Revelation is written. Um, That's why it says it's the revelation. And in John chapter 1 verse 1, it actually says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And the first thing it's a revelation of is a revelation of who Jesus is. It's not just the things that he would do, but the things of who he, who he is. And, uh, and so, friends, sometimes I think in the, just in us wanting to live life, you know, and the things that we face, it's important that we keep looking to God because ultimately our faith is not in our faith. We've got to look outward. Never inward, we look outward, we look up, in a sense, to the object of our faith, which is always Jesus. And, um, you know, and this morning, just I felt like for us, that as in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we run this race, and interesting, uh, and I had it in my notes, that Anil brought this thing of running the race. You know, we, we have to run with endurance, because sometimes, why, why with endurance? Why does it say run with endurance? Because the implication is, life is hard. And it says, but run with endurance because there's going to come resistance. There's going to come obstacles that will face you in your faith. But it says, but looking to Jesus. And that's what we're doing this morning. We are looking to, to who is Jesus. Um, why is he the cornerstone of our faith? And why do we put our faith in him? And, um, and so I want us to look at a portion specifically. I want to bring out three things to you this morning. And, and I want to encourage you just for us to trust that, that, you know, we all have a certain picture often in our minds of who Jesus is, and some of us, or many of us, I think, have experienced the reality of Jesus in certain ways in our lives, but sometimes our experience of Jesus can be fashioned often by our, um, or, or the view we have of Jesus can be fashioned by our culture, you know, like the way we've been brought up, sometimes can fashion a certain view we have of Jesus, sometimes it can be fashioned by media, and by maybe certain of the Jesus movies we've watched. Um, 
But today, I think it's important that we keep going back to ultimately it can be fashioned by an experience that sometimes you might have an experience of God that while it's valid, ultimately we've got to go back to what does the Word of God say about who Jesus is? Because that for us is our standard, friends. That's what we go back to. That's the, that's the objective truth in a sense of based on, on what the Word of God says. And, and so I'd like to share with you this morning from really a well-known scripture, but hopefully bring out a couple of angles just to encourage you this morning in your faith. And, um, and it's in Revelation 1 from verse 9. I'd like to read it to you. And it says, by the way, there's so much in here. I mean, we, you know, I think books and books and books and thousands of sermons have been written on, this, on these portions of scripture. Um, we'll, just, we'll just look at three simple things. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And so there are three things I want to bring out. I want to look at some other scriptures, but the first thing is that this speaks about the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. And it's interesting that if you look here at this portion of Scripture, where you find Jesus, it says that Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. And it carries on later in Revelation, and it speaks about in Revelation 20, that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And where Jesus finds himself is not up above in the heavens. It's not out there on his own in the wilderness. Jesus in the vision is among the lampstands. Why the lampstands? Well, the lampstands in the Old Testament, if any of you know the tabernacle, the lampstand was a, was a seven kind of, you know, section lampstand called the menorah, and the lampstand gave light into the tabernacle. It was the only light they had, but the picture of the lampstand, it actually says of the church, is the idea that the church is the light of the world, and it's covered with gold. Why gold? Because gold is precious to God. And there's this idea that we are the light of the world, and where Jesus finds himself, his presence is with you and I. His presence is with the church. And that's what I love about the church, you know. I've been saved now for, yo, 29, 30 years, and I got saved into a church. I got saved out of the world, but thank God he didn't just leave me there out of the world. He brought me into something. And he brought me into a family where I got to know Jesus Christ. The, the Savior of the world, but I got to know him in church family that challenged me, that stretched me, that showed aspects of Christ to me that I needed in my life, that had leaders around me. And thank God I just didn't get saved out of something and he left me there. But he brought me into a lampstand, into a family that was a light and showed something of the love of God. And friends, I think this value that what it reveals about Jesus is that Jesus' heart is to make his home among us. You know, we're not a social club as a church. We're not some kind of group that just meets. We are the, the temple of the living God on the earth. we where God dwells. And uh, interesting that when Jesus, you know, he's among the lampstands, and he's specifically in the, the churches, he does something. And what he does is he tells John to write 
letters to the seven churches. And they, they were real places, real churches, but obviously we know that it could represent something in church history today for us. But what's interesting is to the seven churches, while he's among them, he wants to speak to them. And he wants to speak to you and I. But the way that he does it, if you read the seven letters, the seven letters are written many ways as a, as a correction. And in fact, five of the seven letters deal with a, a warning, in a sense, and a correction to the church. And he says to them, basically, guys, watch out, because there's this area in you that I'm not pleased with, and I want you to repent, he says, and I want you to just in this. And then he holds out a promise to them. And you know, I think when we think about the presence of Jesus, I know often when I do, we often think about the presence of Jesus among us, and even in you and us, we think of it in a comforting way. Oh, the presence of Jesus, it kind of comforts me and gives me a sense of comfort and love and encouragement. Now, God does do that, but one of the ways that Jesus, how do we know that Jesus' presence is in our midst? Well, one of the ways is that he's convicting us of sin. And that's what he does to the churches. He's convicting them of sin. And he's actually causing them to turn away from certain things that is stopping them from loving him and serving them, him. And, you know, and sometimes when we think of Jesus, some of us have a picture, some of us, of maybe it's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, or it's this big Father Christmas, this divine Father Christmas that gives us whatever we want. But this picture of Jesus, it breaks the boxes for us. It breaks the mold, and it shows us a God that disciplines those that he loves. And friends, you know, one of the great marks of God's love for you and I is that he disciplines us. That like the seven churches, he's going to say, my daughter, my son, I love you so much, but this is what I have against you. Or this is something that I want you to, to repent of or, or change or turn away from. And one of the marks of the presence of Jesus in our lives is that he must be convicting us of sin. And it's something I had to ask myself yesterday. It's like, Lord, have you been convicting me of sin? Are there things in my heart, Lord, that, that you've been pricking me on that I've, I've had to repent of? And it's an interesting question, right? For you and I, I want to ask you, like, when last did you experience the Holy Spirit pointing a finger on something lovingly? Maybe sometimes it feels hard at the time, but you know, like, oh, Lord, I've fallen short in a sense of, of, of you work, I, I need to reflect you in this area better. I know for me it was last weekend. Um, Adi and I were, you know, some of you might think we have the perfect marriage. We're the perfect couple. And uh, that's not always true, I'm afraid. And uh, last weekend, um, Adi, I realized that we were struggling actually in our marriage. We didn't, uh, last weekend, we, we, we just, we, we felt like we were disconnected from one another and uh, eventually we got the chance to talk it through, and I realized that actually I had been, I'd actually not been listening to her, I'd been a bit offish, I'd been so focused on things that I actually hadn't been taking care of my wife and actually trying to just listen to her. I'd, I'd just, I'd been, and I felt the Lord convict me, like, Mike, you haven't been listening to your wife, and you haven't been loving your wife. And yo, it was just a sense of like something in me, I was like, Lord, I'm like not representing you in this area towards my wife, and I, I repented to her. I said, babe, I'm so sorry. I know that, and I, I initially I was trying to justify myself, you know, well, don't you know I've been so busy? Um, 
And then I realized that, God, I've actually, and, and the Spirit put his finger on something of where, and it's something I fall into. It's part of my character at times where I don't always listen well. And I felt like I sinned against her because I just kind of ignored her for a few days in terms of not doing that. And, and he convicted me. But, you know, I thank God he did because it is a sign of his work in us. And, um, and so we have the presence of Jesus in this. And, and you know, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not like the condemnation of the devil. When the devil condemns, it's a vague sense of like, I'm feeling vaguely accused and I'm feeling condemned, but I'm not sure why. And there's a sense of like, you don't feel worthy to be his child. That is not God. When the Spirit convicts you, He convicts you in a way that is always something very specific that He points His finger on where He wants to redeem you and bring you through. He's never going to accuse you. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God is saying, my daughter, my son, I love you so much. I'm going to point this thing out on you and I want you to change. Friends, when last did you have the Spirit convict you of those things? And obviously we want to keep, that's how we grow, isn't it? As the Lord does that. So that's the first thing is the presence of Jesus. The second thing that I want to pick out on Revelation, it speaks about the power of Jesus in the section. And it says in verse 13 in chapter 1, it says, Among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest. And do you know with Revelation, what is fascinating by it is that it alludes back to the Old Testament. The whole book of Revelation has Old Testament imagery, Old Testament numbers, numerology. But what it does is he's alluding back to the book of Daniel. And he's trying to make a statement about Jesus, um, about Jesus being equal to God in every way, full of power, just as the Father is. And what's interesting is the way it describes Jesus. It describes him. Look at it says. It says, one like the Son of Man. And then later on, it says in the next verse about Jesus, it says that Jesus has hair that is as white as wool, and his eyes are, are, are flaming fire. And if we go to Daniel, let's turn to Daniel chapter 7 and see what it actually says about, firstly, the Father, or the Son, and then the Father. And it says in Daniel 7, um, in fact, let's see that it says, and this is Daniel's vision of the coming Messiah of the rightful king of the heavens and the earth. And it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one, look at that same language, like the Son of Man. You see, same phrase? So the, the Christians, when they read that, they knew that Jesus is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Jesus is one coming like the Son of Man. He's the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of Man, this is Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Like, wow, what a picture, right? Of this picture of this God, this Messiah, that comes, it receives a kingdom, and this Jesus we serve has got power. Let's look at what it says about the Ancient of Days. It says in verse 7, verse 9, about the Ancient of Days, and it says, Look, and I looked, and the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days. Who is the Ancient of Days? It's God the Father. 
The Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. Can you see the resemblance? That it's saying, John's saying here that Jesus is like the Father. He has got hair like wool. He's like the Father in every way. What's amazing about this picture, um, friends, is in 1 John, uh, sorry, Revelation 1, it carries on, and where the Father says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and I think John 1 verse 8, I am the beginning and the end, and, and you know, I was the one who was and who is and is to come, and he speaks about the Alpha and the Omega from the Father. It's not the words of Jesus. But then in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Do you see how the Father and the Son are equal? And now we like to sing the song, you know, I'm the Alpha and Omega, you know, and all this. We like that we, we pray it, Lord, you are the Alpha and Omega. But what does it mean? Well, the Alpha was the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And Omega was the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And, and God is saying this, I am the A and I am the Z. I'm the beginning of all things. I'm the end of all things. And Jesus is saying that when you're in him, and in fact, over the heavens and the earth, he's the end of all, the beginning of all things. He's the A to the Z. And you know, the wonderful thing about the power of God is that God desires his lordship and his power to be at the beginning of all things we do and at the end of all things we do. Everything we do can be branded with a sense of the lordship of Jesus Christ, of the lordship of our God. And what makes us special as Christians, unlike all other religions, is that we hold this person of Jesus. Jesus, you are the Ancient of Days. You are equal to the Ancient of Days. The Father is the Alpha and Omega. The Son is the Alpha and Omega. And we get to know Him and love Him. And what I love about God is because God is the beginning and the end, He's the Alpha and Omega, that means that when you and I are going through something that is very, very difficult or challenging and we need to overcome, we are in Him. He's, he's before you and He's after you. Thank God. When you're going through something, you don't have to fear because he's before you and he's after you. He's the A to the Z. You might be the B. You might be the X. You might be the P. You might be the M. Me. Okay. <laughs> but he's before you and he's after you. Wherever you are in the alphabet, God goes before you and God goes after you. Isn't that wonderful? And this thing that we rejoice in the whole time is that our God is so big that there's nothing that happens for you as a Christian that does not happen without the Father allowing it and causing it to use it to shape you and mold you. That's why the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because God's in charge. So it tells us about the power of Jesus. And uh, the third thing I want to share with you, so we looked at the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the third thing is, the pastoral heart of Jesus, the pastoral heart of Jesus. And I love this. It says, again in verse 13, that Jesus is wearing a golden sash around his chest. Why, why does he wear that? Why does John seem to highlight the fact of what he's wearing? I mean, if you read the Gospels, do the Gospels ever indicate what Jesus is wearing? Not really. It does at the end when he gets crucified and they divide his clothing among the soldiers. It mentions that. But does it ever mention Jesus' dress code? 
Anyone? No. Yeah, but it doesn't mention what he wears. But in Revelation, it's mentioning what he wears. Why? Because it alludes to an Old Testament picture of a priest. And so the high priest used to wear a golden sash around there. And it's, it's a picture. And what did the priest do in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, the priest was really a pastor to the people. He, he taught them. He, he brought sacrifices to God on their behalf. He represented them before God. He would counsel them and encourage them. And the priests in many ways functioned like full-time ministers or full-time pastors in, in one way today. And you know the wonder, and this is what it's speaking about here, is that Jesus has the heart of a pastor. He's not just this big God in the sky. He's a pastor. In other words, he carries a shepherd's heart. And I love scriptures like in uh, Peter. It says in Peter that, that it speaks of elders, 1 Peter 5, and it says, you must be good shepherds of God's flock. And, you know, it's speaking to pastors in the church. And then it says, but he is the chief shepherd. In other words, he's the pastor of pastors. He's the, he's the one that will, will, will encourage you and come beside you. And just like hopefully for you, friends, that I want to say that as elders, you need to feel our smile and that we are for you. And even if we have to correct you, because part of the job of an elder, the Bible says, is to correct and at times rebuke and to encourage. But hopefully you know we are like fathers in the house that we want to do it with a smile on our face. You know, that we're going to give you a hiding, but it's like it's with a smile on our face. You know, in a sense. It's like, you know, when you've given your, your children, for those of your parents, and had to discipline your children in whatever way you've done that, hopefully they feel loved afterwards because they know that, I'm secure in the love of my Father. And that's what Jesus does. Though Jesus comes and sometimes has to deal with things in our lives, he's got to put his finger on things that don't please him. There should never be a sense of like, ah, condemnation. Always be a sense of, and from our side, we want to represent the Father well. And you want to feel the smile of the leaders in the church, never the frown. Um, And so I want to share that. And then, you know, this fact, this wonderful truth, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you. Although he is king, he's also kind. Once the, uh, a journalist asked Karl Barth, he was a very famous, hist- uh, a, f- a famous um, theologian, a famous theologian, and they once asked Karl Barth, this world-famous theologian, German man, um, and they asked him, what is the greatest truth that he has ever learned? And he had written many books, many commentaries of the Bible. I've actually got his commentary on Romans. And they asked him, what is the greatest truth in all your years of learning? In all your years of study, what is the one truth that you can say that you have learned? That in a sense is the most precious truth of all. And this is what he said. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And I love that about our Lord, you know. Doesn't that, like we sang that song, He loves you. We're in a household of love. And let's go to verse 17. And so when when John sees this vision of the risen Jesus, who is glorious, his face is shining like the sun, it's just this magnificent picture of the living God. John's response to that is appropriate. 
What's his response to, to when he sees Jesus in all of his glory? How does he respond? That says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Huh? I mean, it's like I'm seeing a glimpse, not just a glimpse. You know, sometimes we have little glimpses of the glory of God, and by faith, we will get on our knees, or we'll raise our hands, or we'll dance, or we'll, by faith, or... But when we see him, it's like, he's like, boom. It's just like, you know, he didn't come up to him and, you know, he wasn't like, yo, Jesus. You know, he didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't like, hey, nice to see you, Messiah, you know. Or like sometimes, and we can have a very, and, and I think it's this, this tension in the Christian life. Like on one hand, God is our friend, you know. He's a friend of sinners and he engages, he comes down to our level. But on the other hand, he's this awesome God. And in one sense, we've got, to, we've got to rejoice, the Bible says, but we do it with trembling. And it's this strange mixture that we find. And, and so John falls at his feet. He has the appropriate response. But then here we see the heart of Jesus. How does Jesus respond to him? Jesus says this. He laid his right hand on me, and he said, don't be afraid. Now remember, John is on the ground, so it's as if Jesus was doing this. Jesus bends down, because how does he lay his hand on him? He's flat on the ground. What does he do? He, he gets down. He says, don't be afraid. Don't you love that? And when we, before God, he puts his hand. And I want to say, friends, when you go face down before the Lord, it attracts something of his favor. Maybe not physically. There, there can be the outward physical thing. Yes, I think that's, that's wonderful and good. But as, the, as we posture ourselves, of like, God, I'm going to tremble, before, tremble at your word. I'm going to be someone that appropriately responds. And then what it does, it draws the kindness of God. Where he says, my, my daughter, my son, I'm kind. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come, let me help you. Let me help you along this race of faith. Let me draw you along. Let me bring you into my purposes. And so we serve a Jesus that is kingly and he's kind. He's Lord but somehow he's so loving that he, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Like, how do we serve this God? And I'd like us just to pray, and, and we're going to worship in response to this God this morning. Before we do, I know it's in many ways just probably been a reminder for many of you of things that you've heard before. But part of coming together as the people of God, our job is to point you back the whole time. You know, that you, you, you leave, you're going, oh, what a wonderful Jesus I serve. That you're going to leave this place not going, hey man, the worship was so cool this morning. Hey man, this is such a, this is such a trendy group of people. You know, Mike's so hipster, wearing his denim, you know. <laughs> no, it's like we walk out of this place saying, oh, what an amazing Jesus we serve. It's like, oh God, you're so amazing. God, that I would get to serve you, that you would save me and bring me into your kingdom. God, what an amazing God I serve. God, your presence is with us. Your power is with us. Your lordship is over us. And, 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 and yet you're the pastor over us, the senior pastor, the Lord of his church, the Lord of his people. And I want to ask you this morning, just before we worship, and we're going to respond in worship, is if you are here, and I want everyone to look at me because we're going to do this publicly, but if you know that you've been maybe running away from God. 